I'm your host and informant for everything church, theology, and faith-related. Churchpreneur's vision is to accelerate the church in mission, vision, and effectiveness and fulfilling the Great Commission in our communities. Churchpreneur's hopes to embolden people to fulfill the Great Commission beyond their own borders into the rest of the world within this generation. In this podcast, I talk about everything that's moving me in relation to church, theology, and hopefully to empower you in your ministry, church, Bible study, theological understanding, and most importantly, your personal growth in Christ. In the last several episodes, I've been talking about my visit to Bethel Church in Redding, California. I have uh, written a book you might be familiar with. I've said it in every uh, podcast episode up to this point. This is going to be part three. And uh, I have uh, been, as a result of writing that book, I've had asked to me a number of times if I have visited Bethel Church. Now, the book that I wrote was about the New Apostolic Reformation, the Third Wave Movement, and the Word of Faith Movement of which Bethel Church in Redding, California is a part. Uh, Bill Johnson is their senior leader, along with Chris Vallotton, their prophet. And uh, they do call him an apostle. They call Bill Bill Johnson an apostle and Chris Vallotton a prophet. As well, other people in the New Apostolic Reformation name Bill Johnson by name as a prophet. One example is the new book by Shea'an modern day apostles. And, uh, Bill actually wrote the forward for that. So, uh, it's very clear that they believe in apostleships and, uh, prophetic ministry. So they are a part of the new apostolic reformation. I wrote the book within that book. I wrote a, a bit about Bethel as sort of a cross section of the beliefs and teachings of the new apostolic reformation. They don't all believe the same thing, but, uh, many, um, teach relatively similar um, concepts, uh, particularly that apostles' job is to bring God's kingdom, bring heaven to earth through signs and wonders and miracles. So uh, as a result of my writing the book and um, this becoming more and more of a theme, uh, people continually ask me what uh, if I had been to Bethel personally. Now, I've I've said this in the past episodes, I've read all of Bill Johnson's books, more than that, and actually read most of the materials that come out of Bethel, books, uh, you know, Danny Danny Silk wrote a a few books, I've read those, I've read a lot of Chris Vallotton's work, uh, but read all of Bill Johnson's work, uh, except for the most recent one, I haven't read that yet, and uh, looked at countless hours of film and and um, uh, sermon material from their church from my Bethel website and so all that said and done I know their teaching inside and out but people continually ask me hey Richard have you been to Bethel you you know with the sense uh, that you can't critique Bethel you're not allowed to critique something unless you've been there sort of like um, you're not allowed to critique drug use and say that I'm not going to use drugs because you haven't tried it before. So, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous that you can't know enough about someone in this day and age with every resource that's available from Bethel's own materials, from their own websites, from their own iBethel TV. You can watch all of it. You don't have to be there. Anyways, all said and done, I take that people's question and critique very seriously. So I said, okay, you know, um, I need to be get out there if I can, if it's possible. This time, I'm a missionary in Germany. I lived in California for years and uh, lived near enough by that this time uh, when we were, I was doing uh, our support raising rounds in California, this time I was able to go visit. I took the chance. I said, this is the only chance I'll probably be able to get within the next years at least. So I took the chance to drive up to Redding. Um, I was in the Bay Area, youth pastor in the Bay Area for about nine years. And so I said, well, let me take this chance and go up to Bethel. It's about three hours, I believe. We took, maybe did it a little quicker than that <clears throat> from the San Francisco Bay Area. <clears throat> and so I took a guy with me um, as accountability. I've said that in the previous episodes. Just so everybody knows what I did. Uh, I, I went there having written this book, having had critique. And uh, so, yeah, so 
took someone with me for backup a little bit. Uh, someone uh, who, who I had come to know um, in the Bay Area as a result of writing my book. I found it very helpful and uh, had himself much experience and exposure with the New Apostolic Reformation um, in the house church movement that he was involved in. So I still had to say that's the setup for my time at Bethel. And please, if you haven't had a chance, go have a look at the previous episodes. Now, uh, in the meantime, I had uh, people ask, you know, uh, hey, Richard, you know, there's people who've gone to Bethel and have not found anything wrong with them. And I, I don't really want to throw out names because um, they're they're very, very famous authors, writers, and uh, they've uh, one has been there. And you'll probably know who I'm talking about. And one has been there. Uh, if you're into this at all, know anything about this at all. One one went, had uh, a real challenging uh, case of cancer and died really early from cancer. But he wanted to go out to Bethel and uh, go out there and see if he could if he would be healed. Yeah, I mean that's that's their whole claim to fame. We can heal you. Come on out. Well, and so he had uh, cancer, really stage four cancer at the time, and decided to. So Lord, it's sort of a last ditch effort, go out to Bethel. And then he reported he saw no um, uh, false teaching or anything like that. And uh, others have, as well have sided from the evangelical world and sort of uh, thrown their hat in the ring and said, hey, these guys are legit. They're teaching the word of God. They're passionate. They're so great and all this other stuff. So he said, what about them? And I, you know, um, it's it's puzzling because uh, my experience there um, this time it was obvious. I mean, so obvious, stark stark contrast, right in your face. This is um, stands outside of the scope of Christian orthodoxy and practice. Clearly, it was just so clear as day to me. The person who was with me as well, even the person I visited was saying, wow, um, I haven't seen this church, our church from this angle before. Now, maybe they didn't go to that service often, which was an evening service. Again, check out the previous videos. It was an evening service, a six o'clock service. So maybe it was because of that. But the person actually said to me, man, you came on the right day to see how crazy things can be. So I don't know if it's an atypical a service where it was extra crazy or something like that, but it was obvious literally from the end of the worship set that, like I said, I think I said in the last video, the worship set was decent, but the last two songs were garbage, flitty, floaty nonsense that wouldn't even pass at a regular music concert. It was just weird. Uh, we're floating. Um, if you make us feel so great, it was real true garbage. So apart from those first worship set, everything beyond that, when Chris started to speak beyond that was completely, uh, sideways. And so, so that, that's the question is how do these people, real strong evangelical leaders, um, how can they not see it that, that you go to, you know, They've went there and said, I don't see anything stark, you know, that says, hey, this is false teaching or something. Well, I guess my answer to that is it makes me doubt um, that people actually have discernment to see. Um, discernment, first of all, biblical discernment. Do they know their scriptures? Uh, do they know that, like what Chris Valentin has said, do they know that um, the this is outside the scope of Christian orthodoxy, like for instance, that, that, uh, prof prophets and apostles are for today. Um, it seems like that is a, a real blaring gap. I, I don't see how that these people can see now. Chris doesn't teach on apostles and prophets every time. That's the challenge. And so the, the, the statement you hear this, this Bill Johnson has said this often, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Um, that, that's teaching is saying, Hey, just take the good and leave the bad. Um, or another way to put people put it is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, 
And what I say to that is, does, does that sound like any New Testament writer? Does that sound like, you know, in, in regards to false teaching? So what we're talking about, no, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't throw the good with, out with the, with the old or something like that. Those are those terms. But those terms don't ever appear. Those type of teachings, what we're saying, what those, those terms are saying or those phrases are saying is, hey, there might be some bad or something that you don't agree with within this whole teaching but don't just throw it all out for the sake of those few things that you don't agree with or whatever or that don't sound biblical um that is not at all what any single new testament writer writes let's just go through uh start this this uh podcast off with with the basis for let's say the basis for false teaching or or the basis of how we handle stuff that actually stands in, a, in opposition to uh, scripture. And uh, I mean, their Christology is is clearly, clearly off. All you have to do is open one of Bill Johnson's books. It's in every single book uh, where he stands on Christology. And he's repeated the same thing over and over again. Jesus did not do his miracles as God. If he didn't do his, if he did his miracles as God, I stand back and applaud and I say, wow, that's great. But he had to have done his miracles just as a man so that I could mimic them. That's the basic the gist of his Christology. It stands complete. That, that stands. That is truly, truly um, a false teaching. Jesus was eternally God, stayed eternally God as a man, and continues to be God in heaven. Nothing changed. If he was not, if he ever laid aside his divinity, he was never God to begin with. God cannot change; he's immutable. Um, if he ever laid aside his divinity, that means he was never God to begin with. So this is this is a clear teaching, stands outside. So what are we to do with people who teach that Jesus wasn't God? Um, are we to, meant to? The, will the New Testament writers say, "Hey, yeah, you know, just." Uh, eat the meat, spit out the bones. You know, Jesus wasn't God, so he teaches that. So let's just spit that part of his theology out. We don't need that. That's not correct. So we'll take the good and leave the bad. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Not a single New Testament writer expressed any such view. And we'll just go through. So in Romans, Paul writes in Romans 16, uh, verses 17 through 18, I appeal to you, brothers, uh, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Let's just take, for instance, the Christology. I mean, that's the most glaring thing to me. They're teaching on the Christ, on Christology. I mean, you could take anything else, although <laughs> teaching on Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's a blue genie that's sort of a, a force, like um, may the force be with you. Um, they do say he's a person, but uh, it's a little bit more for my a pleasure and, and euphoria than anything else. Anyways. So we could take a lot of different teachings, the teaching on apostleships and prophetic, which is what I'm dealing with now, because uh, Chris spoke on that, is it stands outside of scripture and what Christians have practiced for 2000 years. So, yeah, I appeal to you, watch out for those who create obstacles and teach a doctrine that's contrary to the one you've been taught. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So. Mark and avoid is what Paul says. Mark and avoid. Then um, Matthew, Jesus himself, said this, uh, For false Christs and false apostles will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That's Matthew 24, 24. The thing here is, Jesus says this more than once, that false Christs and false apostles will rise up and do wonders. They'll perform miracles. How, how is that possible? So miracles are not the litmus test of, let's say, a, a, a genuine move of God or, a, or valid prophets and apostles. No, Christ says it, these false prophets will do signs and wonders, even it, if possible, to lead astray the elect. And that's what's happening. They're not winning people to the Lord. They're not winning people to their movement. Um by conversion growth, let's say they're converting the sheep 
uh, to there, and, and if possible, even leading astray the elect. And I'll give you an example. Um, I connected with a guy last night here in Germany, and uh, he said, yeah, two of his buddies, two of his German buddies are uh, have been accepted to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry and are going next year. So they're in a regular evangelical church here in Germany, as far as I know, and are going to Bethel um, next year. So they're winning over uh, Christians uh, to their movement because it's so passionate, it's so wonderful. There's so many awesome things happening, so many breakthroughs and stuff like this. So they get the word out that there's this incredible move of God happening. Um, so many miracles and signs and wonders happening. So we're going to go there and experience that. But it's drawing away the elect, as Jesus said it would. Um, then uh, 2 Timothy 4, uh, 3 through 4 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So... Paul says, hey, a time's coming when people won't endure sound doctrine. They're not going to stand for it. They would rather have someone teach them what their tickling ears want to hear. Funny enough, someone's accused me of that, um, <laughs> um, that your words or my book uh, is just scratching, itching ears, so to speak. And um, so in that, the passage, they've accused me of being a false, false teacher. Um, yeah, so... Uh, sad, but um, I, I've only ever held to the scriptures taught it, and um, so I, I don't know what to say about that. Besides, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not accumulating for myself. Uh, you know, people who want to scratch their. I want to scratch their itching ears. Sorry. Um, I definitely endure sound doctrine. I mean, <laughs> look around my room and, and have a look at my books and what I read. I, I, I'm doing my best to hold to the sound doctrine of our history, of our church history, of Orthodox Christianity. And yeah, so, but these guys are accumulating to themselves. Actually, it's the people's fault. If you look at this text, it's the people's fault. People not don't want to endure sound doctrine anymore. They've had enough, maybe, or whatever. They're tired of it. Maybe they're tired of sort of the their grandma's Christianity, so to speak, and want to have something more exciting. And so they accumulate to themselves, the people actually, the sheep, accumulate to themselves teachers who will scratch their itching ears. Isn't that interesting? So it's a little bit our fault. Uh, if we're just, you know, how do false teachers arise? They arise because we want it. We want people. We're tired of sound doctrine. We're tired of scripture. We want something more. So then uh, Acts 20, 28 through 32, um, Paul is leaving. I believe it's the church in Antioch. And he is uh, making his uh, departure and giving them final warnings and stuff like this. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. He committed, commended them to the word. <laughs> the word of grace is how we protect ourselves against. Yeah. So then also in First uh, John 4, 1 through 6, uh, uh, the beloved apostle also gives us a way to understand and how to to avoid a false teaching he said beloved do not believe every spirit so um the the main thing thing within the movement is to get people to just believe it you know you don't really need to actually test everything you know yeah sometimes we, we say something that's not quite right maybe we just say that in passion you don't need to test everything it's you know 
But it says here, test every spirit. Don't believe every spirit, first of all. Secondly, test every spirit to see whether they are from God. How do we test every spirit? By holding the spirit, what the spirit says, up to the lens of scripture, period. If it doesn't line up, then it's not from God. End of story. For many false prophets, he says, have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So, um, it's pretty simple. Um, how do we test? We test it by the lens of Scripture. And does this spirit, does this person who's teaching this doctrine um, hold that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, eternally God as we have believed for thousands of years or does he teach that he's not God and has laid aside his divinity in some form or fashion and these guys do they believe it they teach it and so that's it I mean once that person has said Jesus has laid aside his divinity in some in any way I mean the only way that that phrase works, Jesus laid aside his divinity, if, is if before you say that, only, con you know, some people say, well, you took it out of context, Richard, you took his phrase out of context. The only way that that phrase works, Jesus laid aside his divinity, is if before it, you say, what I'm about to say <clears throat> is not true, Jesus laid aside his divinity. And after it, you say, what I just said is not true. <laughs> So that's the only way that that phrase works in any context. But that's, of course, not the context in which uh, it finds that that phrase finds itself in Bill Johnson's teachings. And on many occasions, it's not just um, it's not just one way or one. That's not the only way he says it. <laughs> he says it in many, many other ways that Jesus was not God, that he performed his miracles as a man only, not as God. So. First uh, John. One, uh, four, one through six is clear. Um, test every spirit, and you hold the the test is the scriptures, and um, the lens of who Christ is. Period. Then uh, Jesus says, uh, Matthew seven. You can look at this yourself. I probably shouldn't read the whole thing. It's just a long one. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. And then you, and that's a big thing. Where I say, well, our, look at our fruit. Our fruits, miracles, wonders, signs, good works, etc. You can't deny that. No, <laughs> Jesus says he goes on to say that the fruit that is not fruit, um, and he says it this way. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's, these are like the signs of their movement. We do prophecy, prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. Okay? And then Jesus says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the main signs of this movement, they claim are fruit. Jesus says, the, that people will uh, connect with them in the end of days and say, Lord, we did all this wonderful stuff in your name. Uh, let us in. And he'll say, nope, I never knew you. How can that be? Because they were false prophets doing either the works in the name of, of Beelzebub or in, other, in any other kind of power, which has been possible. It's, I mean, it's clearly possible for New Age and for others uh, occult religions to do works and signs and wonders. You know, even the Pharisees cast out demons. Uh, Jesus said, uh, how do the, how do your, your sons, the Pharisees, he was talking to the Pharisees, how do your sons cast out demons? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, how do your sons cast out demons? By what power do they do it? So it, it's possible to do signs and wonders and not be a Christian movement. So, yeah, then Titus 1, uh, 10 through 13, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. So Paul had the, the Judaizers, was what they were called, for his whole ministry. They followed him and harassed him until his, basically he died in Rome. And, uh, but he said, he didn't say, well, you know, let, let's just let them, the people kind of chew the, 
the meat and spit out the bones. No, he said, we have to silence them. Their teaching is like gangrene. It grows in. And he said this about Hymenaeus and Philetus. He named Hymenaeus and Philetus by name and said their teaching, they've taught that the resurrection has already happened. Their uh, teaching is spreading like gangrene. We have to cut it out. You don't let gangrene just grow in your body and say, well, you know, let's just let our body figure it out. Our body will, will uh, kind of separate the bad eventually. No. <laughs> Paul said we have to it's like gangrene if you don't stop it and cut it out it will continue to grow and so same thing he says here Judaizers their their message he said it had to be silenced they're upsetting whole families by teaching the shameful gain what they ought not to teach anyways that's that's Paul's uh yeah then in second Peter this famous passage but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Wow. Uh, potent and strong words from from Peter there. Th this is my recommendation to, to you. You don't see how close you can get to false teaching. Um, you don't see how, how much you can kind of consume before you actually come to a bone and be like, and gag on it or something. You avoid it. You mark the people who teach falsely and avoid them. Um, it, same goes for our history as Christians. We don't, you know, the, the, the people who confronted Arius in the early Christian uh, church didn't say, well, let's just let Arius kind of figure it out. You know, we, we, we're uh, content to let people uh, understand the heresy on their own and kind of chew the meat and spit out the bones. No, they condemned him as a heretic and said, this teaching stands outside of biblical orthodoxy. Avoid him, avoid his teaching. And so I, I do these things so that people will please, please, I beg of you, avoid Bethel, avoid these teachers. I don't say that very lightly either. Um, I couldn't recommend a Mormon church and say, well, you know, there's some truth in there. And there is, I mean, last time I had Mormons at my house was really a great experience. The up to they, they, when they share the gospel up to the point, they get to um, the new Testament to Christ. And then to the, uh, to the reinstatement of the priesthood, it's all pretty true. It's all pretty um, clean. It's scripture. And then it all goes sideways. So, you know, do I chew the meat and spit out of the bones of Mormonism? No, no. JWs, Jehovah's Witnesses, do we say, you know, hmm, they have some good teaching in there. It's really, you know, a lot of scripture. Um, but then they get to the point where in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was a God. No, no. He is eternally God. So you get the point. I don't recommend any of these things and say, hey, you know, just go get what you can that's good and kind of leave the bad. No, that's not how um, false teaching works. We avoid. Now, as for these guys, some of these guys who have kind of aligned themselves, it's hard for me to say. So I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they saw when they were there at Bethel. But my experience, my time at Bethel, it was clear nearly from the start that this church and its teaching stands outside of Christian orthodoxy. And I would encourage anyone who is interested in maybe becoming a student at BSSM, uh, go in there uh, to visit, to avoid. Don't listen to as much Bill Johnson sermons as you can get and just kind of chew the meat and spit out the bones. Avoid him. Avoid Chris Vallotton. Avoid any teacher's uh, that associate themselves with the NAR. Avoid them because the scripture teaches us to avoid them. So uh, let's move on. Um, so Chris was in the middle of talking about um, 
sort of the Reformation and how, uh, go again, go look at the previous uh, video if you can. So he's about, I guess, 30 or 40 minutes into a sermon, I guess, at this point. And um, uh, he had just kind of said, um, you know, um, the Catholic Church was is basically uh, is virtuous for not having any uh, schisms or, or splits and all these um, other churches, Protestant churches, are not because they've had split after split after split. Then he talked about the translations. We have 52 translations. Then he started to minimize the need or the necessity for the word of God in our lives, in our Christian lives. Um, he said 52 translations. We have all these. Uh, it's a modern phenomenon that we have so many scriptures. and we have, But scriptures divides us. Um, and then he said, uh, talked about the Reformation. It was the first time people could read the Bible for themselves. And, um, but this is what Chris fails to say. It's correct. They, you know, they didn't have the scriptures up to that point, but that's what kept the Catholic church in power is they use that fact to their advantage to keep people deceived about the truth because they only allowed Latin translations. No one spoke Latin in Germany. I mean, outside of, uh, the theologically trained, no one could read or speak Latin. And so when Luther dif- discovered, hey, whoa, this is, says something completely different than what the Catholic Church teaches, then it became apparently clear that the Catholic Church had been deceiving people and holding truth away from people to hurt them. And they'd become confused. And like I said in the last uh, episode, um, they'd become confused of how to be made right with God. And uh, people were deceived and confused that we're made right with God by faith alone, apart from works. And uh, scriptures over and over and over again says that. So this is very, very challenging when he misrepresents the Catholic Church and what was happening in the Protestant and Lutheran Reformation. Then he said, no one ever got saved by raising their hand or going forward. I got saved. Uh, That's interesting. He said, but I got saved that way. Um, but it's extra biblical. So I was wondering, wait, you got saved by going forward and raising your hand at a, some evangelistic rally, I guess, or something. But then he said uh, it's extra biblical or not biblical. Um, so I'd sort of agree with him actually on that. Um, but did you get saved then if it was extra biblical? Anyways, a side note. Then he said this quote, I'm saying you weren't in, meaning in the Christian faith because you had the right doctrine or out because you had the wrong one, you were in because you were following Jesus. Again, minimizing doctrine. Um, Yeah, we follow Christ. No question. We follow Jesus. Um, The question always with Bethel is, which one are we following? Um, The one that laid aside his divinity or the one that uh, Christians have followed for thousands of years who was Lord and God of the universe, eternally God, never laid aside his divinity. That one or the other one. Anyways, um, yeah, and then it just again minimizing doctrine, um, and and then this is interesting. He told a story about this, so um, it's sort of, it's sort of like a roundabout way to talk about sin. So um, people say, "Well, can I live with my boyfriend if I'm a follower of Jesus?" And then and then he and then he said, "You can't live with your boyfriend because Jesus isn't going that way." Yeah, um, in a roundabout way, right? But it's also, again, this sort of this minimizing sin. Yeah, Jesus doesn't want that for you, you know? Um, but sorry. Um, yeah, just call it what it is. It's, it's sexual immorality. It's fornication. Um, that's what the New Testament writers called it. Uh, you know, if it's, are we kind of, re, again, rewriting and changing things that the New Testament writers wrote? Just read a New Testament scripture, Ephesians 5. Um, one of the ones where they talk about sexual immorality, it's just what it is. So, you know, sort of not this, not wanting to really name what, it, you know, Jesus doesn't want that for you. It's not good for you. You know, anyways, um, then he said, I'm suggesting again, he went back into this. The whole theme was denominationalism and apostleships because he had had that encounter with Jesus Christ where Jesus met him personally. I'm suggesting, he said, we're moving away from denominationalism and we're moving to covenant apostleships. Now, let me uh, break that down a little bit because covenant, um, you know, Jesus said the new covenant I'm making with you. So Jesus made a covenant in his blood. 
Yeah, the covenant is between God and Christ to redeem man. And when he says now he had, first of all, this whole message came from Jesus Christ himself. It was the new arrangement that God's making for man and how the church ought to act and be. And Christ is making a new covenant with Chris and with the church that we're no longer doing it the way we've done it up to this point. We're doing it now um, in covenant relationships between apostles and prophets. And he did say himself, I'm a, I've covenanted myself for forty last 40 years to be uh, Bill's prophet and, and Bill is my apostle. So I've made a covenant relationship with him. Now you make. So the question is, I mean, this is a new teaching. You know, this is this this is extra biblical in the sense that we're meant to make covenant relationships with apostles. Um, it, it's extra biblical, extra scriptural, um, and it's not only that, but it's a new teaching. Jesus said, "A new covenant I'm making with you. We are covenanted to Christ through His blood on the cross. We're not covenanted to apostles. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say." Anything of this nature. I can't think of one single situation. You know, the fivefold ministry is what they talk about, where, you know, God gave first to be apostles, prophets, teach, you know, etc. All the five gifts and ministry of the Spirit, those are gifts. But in nowhere does it say we need to make covenant relationships with apostles. This is really bordering on, on, manipulative cult-like i mean so what are these 20 somethings meant to do right there that they don't know that it's unbiblical they don't know that that's not a scriptural teaching um jesus told him man if jesus told him that i better better make it a, a covenant relationship with bill johnson and all the apostles that are there or that or some other apostle whenever i go to another church this is this is wow. I mean, this is so outside scripture. It's hard to put uh, frame a reference on it. Um, and so they become the authority. Um, you you covenant to to be an apostle apostolic relationship with Bill and Chris, the prophet. If you're there at Bethel and a, and a member of that church, you've covenanted to be um, a a uh, a covenantee, <laughs> I guess of bills papa bills leadership and they call him papa bill so he's a father and uh so it's a family right it's a family and this kind of language is uh, used by cult leaders for years for years um yeah peter and paul didn't get along um they they had a such a disagreement that it split up their network um so <laughs> He said that, you know, disagreements split up networks, split up people and, and divide. But, yeah, I mean, that in Scripture, that disagreement, Peter and Paul, um, he confronted him to his face because he stood condemned. That's what Paul said. You know, Peter didn't write a letter again later, you know, correcting that and say, well, I wasn't so bad what I did or, you know, no, it stood that he was he stood condemned. And the condemnation was that he he withdrew from the from the Gentiles because um, it stood opposed to the gospel. Paul confronted him because it stood opposed to the gospel. Anyways, uh, Matthew sixteen sixteen um, was the first Bible verse that he quoted. I think it was must have been thirty or forty minutes into his talk. Um, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, he said. Uh, then he quoted Mark eighteen. Beware of the leaven of Herod. Um, he said that the leaven of the Pharisees equals the religious spirit. I, I, I was at that point, I was just kind of like, wait, what? Um, where is that in scripture? What, how does he get that? Um, but that's, a, this is a, a common theme in the NAR. If you're, if you're hold to the letter of the law, if you, if you, um, really, uh, value your Bible, read it, know it. You have a you're pharisaical, you have a religious spirit, and you actually hold people to it like we do. We say, hey, um, that's not scriptural. That doesn't stand anywhere in scripture. I can't think of one um, section of the New Testament of scripture anywhere 
that talks about the religious spirit. It's a figment of their imagination. It's a construct, sort of like the um, the Jezebel spirit. Um, the NAR and, and, and all these uh, other movements talk about all sorts of spirits, any kind of spirit you want. Um, there's a book called Pigs in a Parlor. I don't recommend it because it talks about this. This is the, everything has a spirit. Every sin has a spirit in it. Um, you know, sexual sins, etc. They all have a religious spirit behind them or, or some kind of spirit behind them. And then they, you know, name all these spirits. So then if you're pharisaical, um, if you have a religious spirit, um, then you hold to the letter of the law or, you know, that sort of, sort of thing, right? You, you, you value your Bible, you read it, you, um, hold people to its teaching. You say, Hey, if you don't teach this and this, then you, you know, it's not biblical. And they, they name those peoples with religious spirit. So the leaven of the Pharisees, he called it the religious spirit. The leaven of Herod, he equals, uh, equates to the political spirit. I just, you know, there's a spirit behind every bush and I don't know where he gets it. I can't even think of a single. So these are all, you see how it builds uh, uh, sort of this extra biblical teaching. There's not a single section that talks about a political spirit. I mean, I can't even think of the word political or politics appearing in the scriptures. So it's all extra biblical teaching. The religious spirit doesn't appear anywhere as well. The leaven of the kingdom, though, he says, um, we need the leaven of the kingdom. As we get more engaged in dominionism, uh, we need to remember we're a family. Um, so it just is, is really pretty uh, crazy the extra biblical revelation that's that's starting to heap up in, in just in his talk is an hour and 30 minutes, hour and 40 minutes. Then he uh, said that Daniel eventually refused to succumb to the spirit of Babylon. <sighs> okay. I mean, and they're not talking about like the, the zeitgeist or uh, the spirit of the age or something there. He is really truly meaning there are demonic spirits that want you to be extra religious and pharisaical. There are spirits of Babylon. There are spirits of the political arena. It just, it's, it's not, there's nothing in the scripture about anything like that. And then uh, Chris, about the spirit of Babylon, he said about Daniel, he said, because he stayed above the spirit of Babylon, he was able to influence Babylon. Uh, yeah, I don't know, where, you know, where you can get that from or where, yeah. You have a slave master relationship if you only agree with friends, he said. Um, yeah, so in other words, if you have only friendships that you, where you agree with people, that's a slave type relationship. Um, again, no scripture to back it up, just kind of shooting from the hip. At this point, he started to look at the clock and then proceeded to speak for another hour. I thought it was funny. He said, How much time do I have? And um, then he had. This is about, I guess, then about 40 minutes in. Um, so he had another hour of material. Um, and again, this is all on the, if you want to go to the iBethel, I think they'd have the whole sermon probably. I don't know that because I don't have an account with iBethel TV. But uh, if you go to that website, uh, their iBethel TV website, and pull it up on the 26th of January, you'd be able to see all this. And I'm not quoting stuff out of context. I'm trying to really word for word go through his talk and tell and 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 give an accurate picture with my biblical commentary behind it. So Jesus told him that denominationalism is concubines. Um, so concubines in the Old Testament were, you know, the extra wives, yeah. And so he filled it out a little bit um, that the women, the wives who were wives of kings and stuff, had the rights of all the king, you know, access to the king. Concubines didn't have access to that covenantal relationship. Um, basically, calling calling denominations prostitutes. Um, there and and what is the language of prostitutes in the in the Old Testament? Is that um, You've prostituted yourself out to other gods. So, I mean, denominationalism, he's saying here, is um, is like serving, like worshiping other gods. We're uh, following false gods. I mean, it's just, it's, it's as outrageous as it can be. Um, I can't see how, 
he can have any ecumenical he and they're big on ecumenicalism i mean they want <clears throat> they want to have relationships where they want to bring all the church together but this statement right here would drive a wedge bigger than anything if you're basically call the baptist denomination presbyterians um Methodists, you name it, every denomination, he's calling here a concubine. And Jesus, he said, Jesus said this to him. I was, I was beside myself. Literally, I sat next to myself and I saw, <laughs> I was going crazy. Um, I was truly like, wow. Yeah, in my, in my opinion, Bill becomes, Bill Johnson becomes more and more untouchable because he's created a culture where everyone can share their hearts. And if you just share your heart, um, you know, just let me share my heart. I mean, I saw an interview of someone from Bethel the other day too. Hey, we're just sharing our hearts here. You know, I want you to hear my heart. Um, if you say it that way, you can hardly speak against it. I mean, Hey, the guy just shared his heart. What are you talking about? Stop picking on him. You know, um, then Chris went on to fill out the idea of the concubine. The difference between concubine and a wife was that they did not carry the king's name and didn't have an inheritance. So again, he goes after denominations by saying, you don't carry the king Jesus' name. You don't carry his, his you don't have his inheritance. As wow. I mean, it's just that it just kept piling on. And, um, yeah, then he quoted uh, 1 Corinthians 4.15, the second or third verse. He quoted, it says, um, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And then his emphasis uh, in this passage, reading this passage, was totally warped, making Paul Paul's mention of a father way more controlling than Paul means it. Paul doesn't mean it um, as they apply it. I mean, uh, these guys are gathered to themselves, followers, uh, as in um, they're their fathers. It works because a lot of these guys have no fathers. I mean, you broken kids, and I noticed that a little bit. Um, the, the movement altogether picks the low-hanging fruit. Um, and I, I don't mean that to be offensive to anybody who has, who's gotten into, involved in this movement, honestly, but I noticed needy kids there, really needy, needy kids. They need, um, they need a father. They need someone to speak this life into them and, and to heal them of their wounds and stuff like this. So in that sense, they, they picked the low, low hanging fruit and, um, then they turn them into, and they father them, right? And Bill's Papa Bill. So, and he lets himself be called that. I mean, I, I know it, you know, and that's incredibly um, damaging and manipulative. And then he said, uh, they're moving out of a denominational spirit. So not only is denominational concubines and we're not married to the, the Lord, we're not part of his covenant relationship, but we are, we have a spirit, a demonic spirit, a denominational spirit. Um, and we're moving into a family. So uh, Paul said, uh, persevere, preserve the unity of the spirit. He didn't say preserve unity of doctrine. That's what he said. So um, again, eroding doctrine. Um, on the other hand, Paul, I mean, so which one is it? Is it preserve the unity of spirit or or? I mean, when Paul talked about doctrine, he, he, he said to Timothy, be careful, watch your life and your doctrine, uh, which is it? I mean, um, it, it's both and. So he's, he's slowly eroding um, the necessity or the unity of any doctrine. Um, and then he said, he's talked about picking up other people's revelation. So the whole movement really thrives on new revelation. So again, the scripture is not enough. He, we've seen how he's sort of eroded the scripture throughout this whole talk. And then um, he says, you know, I, I pick up other people's revelation. I, I, I hear their revelation and I, I soak it in. This is, I mean, the whole movement is revelation, new revelation uh, oriented. 
Um, every new apostle and prophet has a new revelation of God. I'm just actually picked up a book. Um, I'll show it because it's just that crazy. Um, I see a new apostolic generation. Um, this guy, Jeremiah Johnson, um, I'll, I'll just read the back cover real quick. In 2010, Jeremiah Johnson received a dramatic and life-changing prophetic dream where he was taken to heaven and stood before the throne of God. While standing in the court of heaven before Jesus Christ and accompanied by seven angels, God the Father gave Jeremiah a prophetic message for church leaders across the globe. Let my people go. So, um, and, and basically embrace apostolic leadership. Um, so God gave him a new revelation. It's uh, new revelations are all over the place. In uh, Shea'an's book, The Modern Day Apostle, it's just this new revelation here and there and everywhere. And that's not what Christian practice is. Our revelation is the canon of scripture, period. We don't have any more revelation where we hear God speak to us that we need to disseminate that revelation to the church. But it's obvious he's given us a new revelation. Embrace covenantal apostolic relationships, apostolic and prophetic relationships. It's God's new plan for the church. So, um, yeah, let's see. I've got another quote here. Some of us have this idea, he said, that if God would do something, certainly he would do it to me first. Well, God didn't never, well, God would never do that. Why? He hasn't done it to me. Oh my goodness. He said, I didn't know that you were the center post of revelation. So again, revelation comes forth. Um, if you didn't get it as a revelation, then, um, now then, you know, how would you know that someone else didn't get it? Why are those people shaking and falling down? I have the spirit. He said, I'm not shaking and falling down. Well, certainly he should have done it to you first. We should talk to him about that. I don't see that in the Bible. Did you ever see when Daniel came in the presence of God, he fell down as a dead man? This is minor. So that whole section, he was basically talking about, um, you know, how can I say that God doesn't act that way or doesn't reveal himself in that way? Well, um, it, we can basically say that because there's not a single place. I mean, Dave, Daniel fell down in the presence of God as a dead man. He didn't shake and writhe. And um, I mean, I, I was there um, and a young man next to me was standing up at the end of the service and in the ministry time they call it he would he shook he literally shook for 45 minutes hands up like this shaking really just um uh, shaking I, I don't see that anywhere in scripture that's not a revelation of the holy spirit's power or authority that doesn't happen anywhere um i mean the, the tongues of fire um it's not happening there. People are just shaking and rolling around. Um, and Daniel, he fell down in the presence of a holy God as a dead man. Isaiah fell on his face and said, depart from me, Lord. I am, or Peter said that. Uh, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah said, they fell down as dead because they thought they were going to be dead. <laughs> not because they had this euphoric experience. They thought they were confronted with the holy God and they thought they were going to die. Fell down as a dead man. Maybe if I just stay still and don't move, God will be merciful to me and I won't die. <laughs> That's what that is. So, um, and then he says, well, you know, how can you, you know, you're the, you're the center post of revelation. This is also challenging. Because he makes people who say, wait a minute, um, that's not in scripture, um, appear to be uh, arrogant, pompous people who, who hold to the scripture, first of all, hold to the standard of how God reveals himself in scripture um, and says, hey, these people who are doing this, they're hearing from God. How can you say that they're not? You know, so this is... Um, yeah, then um, he, he says, uh, Jesus sums it all up in Luke 640. He said, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like the teacher. Um, discipleship is not knowing what I know, but becoming who I am. 
Uh, in denominationalism, he said, discipleship is about me teaching you what I know. But in apostleship, discipleship is about you becoming who I am. Um, this is this is uh, challenging on a, on a few levels. First of all, um, we don't disciple people to become like we are. Disciple, that's not what discipleship is. So discipleship is teaching people to walk in the steps of the master, Jesus Christ. And he said it, uh, you are my disciples. Yeah. And go therefore and make other disciples and how teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, not teaching them to become all that I am. This is, uh, really, really bad. Um, we don't teach and I don't teach, I don't want anybody to come like Richard. I want you to become like Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship is. I teach people to obey all that Christ has commanded and, and teaching them the gospel, the gospel of forgiveness of sins and life in his name. Um, he said, then the Judas spirit wants intimacy without covenant. This is the false apostolic spirit. He said, um, yeah, again, the Judas spirit, another spirit comes out. So the Judas spirit, I guess, is the um, betraying spirit. I don't know. Um, they want intimacy without covenant. And I don't know where he gets this as well, because it's just not in scripture. Judas was possessed by the devil himself. There was no Judas spirit. Um, he was an apostle for the whole time with, or was a disciple for the whole time with the others until he was possessed by uh, the devil. <laughs> um, we can see it pretty clearly in, in John 13. If you get there, um, it says that Judas was possessed by the devil. He gave him the task to betray Jesus. So there's no intimacy without covenant. Um, Judas was the false apostolic spirit. No. Um, so this is him trying to build his case for this covenant relationship with I guess the apostles and prophets that they're going to talk about would be there. Yeah. False apostles. He said, then are those who pretend to have a covenant, but don't, I mean, again, you see this just extra biblical creating a um, system, a form of a DNA. He said it, it's a DNA, a DNA of their movement without any scriptural backup. Church, the church for 2000 years has not been led by apostles and prophets. It's been led by elders, shepherds, pastors, and deacons as laid out in the New Testament governmental passages, Titus, Timothy, and others. That's how the church has been led for 2000 years. He's creating a new teaching, a new form of church governance, which is extra biblical. We don't covenant with apostles and prophets. We become members of the body who have elders and deacons and leaders in a local congregation. He just doesn't have a leg to stand on, not a scriptural leg. Valentin then uh, implied uh, that Judas was moving in signs and wonders. He just was not in covenant and that's why he betrayed Jesus. And that attitude is denominationalism. Um, yeah, it just, it just keeps rolling, right? Um, he keeps going on to the level of more extra biblical revelation. I don't know where he's getting that. I don't see anything in scripture that allows for such a thing. He sort of builds, builds on, I mean, I, I don't even see any biblical evidence that Judas was moving in signs and wonders. I don't, I don't see, um, a single scripture made besides the 70 being sent out, um, and they came back and said we could cast out demons. But Judas, it wasn't like Judas was one of those saying, or he, you know, Judas said, hey, Lord, I did this incredible sign in your name. No, um, there's no evidence that Judas did any miracles. Um, yeah. And so he extrapolates from an extrapolation to extrapolate that we, he wasn't living in covenant relationship. That's why he betrayed Jesus. No, he betrayed Jesus because he was predestined to do it. it it's scripture. Um, he was the one predestined 
for destruction is what the scripture says. And he was to fulfill the scripture in John 13. You see it. Um, he was the one to, to fulfill that, that, uh, role. So, uh, John 13 describes Judas and what happened to him. So it says, uh, it's John 13, then verse, uh, 26, it says, so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. No Judas spirit, no non-covenantal spirit. Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do it quickly. So much earlier in the chapter, we actually see that Ju Judas was uh, prophesied um, to, to be the betrayer of Christ. So then after Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, he talks again about the person who will betray him and where what that's about. In verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. He's then, of course, kind of singling out Judas, even though they didn't know it at the time. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you'll believe that I am he. So he's talking about Judas. This is a prophecy that Judas fulfilled from eternity past. He was predestined to... Um, become the uh, son of perdition, as, as the scripture says. So this idea appears uh, where Judas is described and um, how he his um, situation was described by Peter in Acts 1.15. It says this, In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was all in all about 120 and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had, had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Um, and it says, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. Ugh. Uh, yeah, yucky end for Judas. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the field was called in their own language, Ak Akeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So this, uh, let's say, task of Judas was prophesied beforehand. He was then possessed by the devil to accomplish his work. Um, Chris Valentin here in, in this section in his sermon says the Judas spirit wants intimacy without covenant. That it, this is a false apostolic spirit. This is a teaching that stands obviously outside of, of what the scripture says and what it teaches about Judas's role in Jesus' betrayal and everything. Then he said, false apostles are those who pretend to have a covenant, but don't. I don't know where he gets this either, but um, yeah, Judas uh, was predetermined to fulfill this role and to fulfill the prophecies about him that he would betray Jesus. Judas didn't have a, a false apostolic spirit. He wasn't an apostle beforehand. He was never named an apostle. He was a disciple. And then in Acts 1, they renamed uh, another apostle to take his place because he was prophesied or predetermined to fill the role of, of uh, betrayer. So Valentin is way off base here. Uh, then, then he says, uh, he implied, uh, Valentin implies that Judas was moving in signs and wonders. There's no indication of that. No indication. Maybe you could say that with the 70, that he was uh, casting out demons and doing signs in Jesus' name. There was no indication, although, that Judas was the one who was doing it. The disciples came back and said, we can't cast out these demons or whatever. And and Jesus says, well, you uh, foolish and and uh, uh you foolish generation, how much long must I put up with you, basically? Um, and and he said that those demons can be cast out by by fasting and prayer. 
and Judas may have been okay at one of those. It's never indicated anywhere that Judas did a miracle, performed a miracle, or anything like that. And uh, so he says in, in his sermon, Valentin says that Judas was moving in signs and wonders. And it just was, he was, but he was not in the covenant. That's why he betrayed Jesus, or he wasn't in an apostolic covenant. And that Judas' attitude was an attitude of denominationalism. I mean, it, it, it was so insulting. I mean, if you were in any kind of denomination, a part of a Baptist denomination and part of a Presbyterian or any other denomination that's a Christian denomination, and you heard this, these words, there's no way you could not have been insulted. Um, basically saying that, that people who are in denominations or, or believe in denominations of any type have a Judas spirit in them. And the Judas spirit is the spirit of Satan. I just made it clear. John 13, Satan enters Judas to do perform his betrayal. I mean, this was uh, appalling and astounding and insulting on so many levels. Um, he basically called us who were involved in denominations, uh, uh, Judas, um, and having the Judas Iscariot spirit. Thanks for listening to Churchpreneur's Podcast. You can find out more information at my website at richardpmore.net. I also blog at richardpmore.blogspot.com. You're welcome to follow me on Twitter. I, my Twitter handle is at richardpmore23. You can also email us at churchpreneurs.gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for a podcast or any comments or questions, please reach out to me on one of those platforms. God bless you. Until next time, take care.